0: Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Well, once again, welcome, friends. So grateful that you're here today for joining us online. A special welcome to you as well. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, how many of you had to bust out the stretchy pants like I did? That just means you did it right. Just means you did it right. Uh, I also had the chance to play in a Thanksgiving Day football game, and it reminded me that I am not as young as I used to be. Even walking up the stairs today, I'm a little bit like this still. So, um... (laughs) But uh, we had a great time, and I hope that you and your family and your friends did as well. And today we get to flip the calendar, our church calendar at least, as it were, and enter into a new season in the life of our community. It's the season of Advent. And for those unfamiliar, Advent is different than Christmas. They are not synonymous. Advent is the time of year where we posture our hearts once again to wait. We step back into the story And we wait for the coming of the Messiah. Christmas is the celebration of Jesus' birth. Advent is stepping back into a posture of waiting. And we understand waiting, don't we? I think especially in California, we understand waiting well. We've got this thing called traffic that reminds us that we are people who often have to wait, we have to wait in grocery stores for checkout lines. We have to wait in doctors' offices. We this Christmas will probably be waiting on a few supply chain issues, and maybe just maybe if you're waiting for somebody, you might get a text message that's just three letters: O M W, which means "on my way." Right, on my way. And if all that waiting isn't enough, my guess is that, like me, after last weekend, you read the news and you saw the pictures once again of another shooting, this time in Colorado Springs and something in you just aches that our world is broken. Amen? Amen. uh, As John Mayer sang, we keep waiting on the world to change. And it's during this season of Advent that we posture our hearts to intentionally step back into this waiting to say, God, help us long. For that day, help us long once again for your coming. Because during Advent, we remind ourselves that we are people as followers of Jesus who live in between two affirmations, that we live in between the affirmation of Christ has come and the hope Christ will, anybody know? Come again, Christ will come again. And it's during this season of Advent that we look back to the baby who was born to a teenage mother in a manger and we, we dip our lamps into that manger and we pull them out again with faith and hope and love and we walk with those lamps into our world that is just latent with what we might call a present darkness. But our hope that we will not let go of is that our king will one day come again to rule and to reign. And Advent is the expectant waiting, hopeful anticipation, and cheerful preparation for God breaking into our lives. How many of you need God to break into your lives? So glad you're here today. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about how God wants to break into our lives this Advent and this Christmas season. So if you have your Bible, would you open with me Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter nine, sort of towards the middle of your Bible and that's where we're gonna start today. But we need a little bit of context before we jump into the prophecy that we're gonna be camping out in over the next few weeks. See, the year was roughly 730 BC. King Ahaz was king of Judah and he was nervous because Syria and a number of other armies were lining up outside of the gates of Jerusalem and they were ready to attack. So if you've ever felt like the underdog, if you ever felt like you were just getting blitzed on every side, you know what the nation of Israel felt like. And God knew that Ahaz was coming to the end of his rope. He knew that he was considering making an alliance with Assyria that would not have gone well for them. So he sent the prophet Isaiah to give him a word. And here was the word. The word was, listen, Ahaz Don't worry about making an alliance with another nation. God himself will protect you. And then he said, God's gonna give you a sign that he's gonna be good on his promise. Listen to the sign. My my guess is it may sound familiar. Verse 14 of chapter seven, here's the sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name, what? Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It should, um, that name is part of our church's name, right? (laughs) Manual faith. And it means what? God with us. Now, if you read through Isaiah chapter seven, what you find, and then into chapter eight, is that this, while we know this now to be a prophecy of the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Christ, we actually have a fulfillment, an immediate fulfillment of this prophecy in in Isaiah chapter nine. There was a notable child who was born. And he came to be known as Emmanuel, one who embodied in many ways and invited in the presence of God. It's interesting because biblical prophecy often works this way, where we'll have an immediate fulfillment that's, that's partial in nature that points us to an ultimate fulfillment that's coming one day. Sort of like if you were looking at a mountain and you saw a hill that was right in front of you and then a bigger mountain off in the distance. That's the way the biblical prophecy often works. But we're gonna read about all the things that this child was going to bring and the child born in Isaiah 8 didn't bring those things. Which stirs up some questions for us, doesn't it? Like, why doesn't God come through in real time on our real problems. So so this promise took 700 years to come to fruition. Talk about waiting on the world to change. I mean, talk about a posture of anticipation and hope just sort of slipping through your I mean, do you ever wonder why God makes a promise and then partially fulfills it, but then sort of strings us along, strings us along, strings us along to when he finally, ultimately one day will fulfill it. See, I think Advent reminds us that God always meets us daily, even while he leads us towards our destiny. And I love this about God. I love this about him, that he gives us peace now, but not to the extent that he will ultimately one day. We taste joy now, but really it's probably a shadow of what we will one day experience in his presence. Amen? We experience healing now, but not permanent healing that we will one day experience at resurrection. And see, Advent reminds us that just like the people of Israel waited for hundreds and hundreds of years while they had partial fulfillment of the promise, we too are people who are in waiting. Christ has come. And Christ will come again. And Isaiah nine paints a picture of this child who would be born, the fulfillment of this promise. And listen to Isaiah's prophecy, starting in verse one of Isaiah chapter nine. You there? Right on. It says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Talking about the nation of Israel, all that pain, all that struggle, all that striving, no more gloom. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon, the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And I love that Isaiah prophesies in present tense. He has done this. Like he's seeing it so clearly that he says it's as good as done. Well, what's as good as done? Verse two. The people who walked in darkness have seen a what? A great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Now, if you were to flip over to Matthew chapter four, what you'll see is that Matthew quotes this verse to say, this is what's happening when Jesus shows up. He walks through Galilee, he heals the blind, he heals the sick, he feeds the hungry, he drives out demons, that that people who are walking in darkness are seeing a great light. In the person and work of Jesus, the the hope that Isaiah planted in the souls of God's people was coming to fruition. It was being fulfilled. The nation of Israel at that point in time was under the thumb of the Roman empire, but light was starting to break through. As Fleming Rutledge, the great theologian wrote, she said, Christmas always begins in the dark. It begins when we're at our worst, when we're at our Lowest when we're crying out. Christmas begins when our resources have come to an end. Advent is, is a, a longing, God do something, do a great work, heal, restore, make new. And it's also the realization, I can't do it on my own. See, this season reminds us that when we get to the end of our ingenuity, that we get to the end of our progress that we, when we get to the end of our ability, we have not gotten to the end of God. Amen? That God is at work in our midst, even when, maybe especially when, our resources are exhausted. See, we are still people who are walking in darkness and the light comes from the outside, not from the inside. Listen to what this child would bring. Verse six, jump down there with me. For to us, a child is born. He picks up this theme from Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. What child? (laughs) To us, a son is given. Everybody say the word given. 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 See, that means that the son wasn't earned. It wasn't deserved. He wasn't produced. He was graced, given to people in darkness. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Can you almost just hear Handel's Messiah ringing in your ears? Wonderful counselor, almighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. The prince of peace. Right? Right? Hey, can you hear it? I don't know if that helps. Probably not. But over the next few weeks, these are the names that we are going to explore. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. These are what I'm gonna refer to as radiant names. They're names that break into the darkness and shine a bright light. Or as Eugene Peterson said, the four names are a frontal attack on all that keeps us from God. An all out assault on what is wrong with the world. So so if you're at the end of your resources, if you've come looking for help, if you're looking for a little bit of light to break into the darkness, then, oh, this series is for you. Merry Christmas. Happy Advent. God is on the way. And the first name that we're going to explore today is the name Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. I can remember the very first time I walked into a counselor's office. Uh, Kelly and I had just experienced a tragedy together. Um, A student uh, died on a backpacking trail um, in in our hands. And uh, as 25 year olds, man, well, I don't know if you ever know how to deal with that, but, but we didn't. And the aftermath of that, living in the wake of that just was wrecking us. And we really didn't know how to deal with the trauma. And a good friend of ours said, you should really uh, seek out a counselor. They might be able to help you work through it. And I can remember the very first time we walked into, her name was Wendy, Wendy's office. We walked up the stairs and I had all sorts of thoughts in my mind that were just swirling. If you've ever been to a counselor, maybe for the very first time, you might remember like just walking in going, well, what are they gonna say that's gonna help? Um, are, Are they gonna judge me? Uh, am I gonna be like broken beyond repair? Am I gonna be told like, yeah, people don't recover from that kind of thing. What, what, what are they going to tell me? And over the following months of meeting with her, God started this process of restoration and of healing. And I can remember her calm demeanor, her, her poignant yet thoughtful questions, her, her well-placed but not overbearing advice. And in so many ways, She started to help me see me more clearly. She she helped me see us more clearly. And it was what God used to catalyze the the healing process that he's walked us through over the last, well, almost 20-ish years. It probably doesn't surprise you that the percentage of people in the US in counseling has risen over the last two years. Anybody shocked by that? right? Like it's been, it's been quite the few years. And so there's more and more people who are reaching out for for professional help. Praise God. 21.6% of Americans are in counseling and has seeking out counseling for things like depression, addiction, feeling stuck, grief, anger, codependency. And and that's all really, really good. And I'll, I'll affirm that again later on in the message. But here's my question for you right now. Do you believe that Jesus has anything to say about those issues? Do you believe that Jesus has anything to say as the wonderful counselor? Because that's how Isaiah describes him. He's the wonderful counselor, wonderful meaning that he is beyond description. Mind-blowing, like like words can't even describe how good he is. Have you ever had an experience that was just hard to put into words? Like maybe um, maybe you had one at Thanksgiving where you cut into your turkey and you were like, oh, this is... Oh, too good for words. Maybe not. Like, if you had steak on Thanksgiving, you might, right? Like, let's just be honest for a second. Right? But my guess is you've 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 eaten something, you've had an experience, you've watched the sunset, and you've gone, oh my goodness. I would describe it to you, but you just had to be there. It's too wonderful. For words, He's a wonderful, and then Isaiah says, counselor. He, he's an advisor. He's an instructor. He's a guide, but he's a guide who guides from a place of authority and knowledge. He's not like the friend that you call when you're at the end of your rope and your friend's like, gosh, I'm really sorry to hear that. And I don't really know what to say about that. And yeah, I hate her too, or I hate him too. And or, you know what I mean? He guides from a place of authority someone who you can bring your worst problems to and he will show you a way forward. So lean in for a moment. I have this sneaking suspicion that many of us have little problem viewing Jesus as savior, as Lord, as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yes, and amen to that. But do we view him as counselor? Like today, right now, do we view him as one who is able to speak a word of help in a time of need? See, that's the picture Isaiah's describing. And the radiance of Christmas shines through the wisdom of Christ. Yet, Christmas is bright, not just because there are lights on your house, but because the wonderful counselor is still available today. He's still in session today. And see, here's the deal, friends. Christmas is not just about a baby being born. Christmas is about wisdom that's being offered. And so here's what I want to say. Uh, throughout this message, please don't hear, Ryan said you shouldn't go to therapy or you shouldn't go to counseling, you should just pray about it. Like, <laughs> but, but also, please hear me say, saying that you shouldn't just go to therapy and you shouldn't just go to counseling, The wonderful counselor is still available. And I think that we should pursue both with everything that we have. What I love about the name wonderful counselor is that it means that Jesus came for people who need help. Yes. Like, he didn't come for the perfect. He didn't come for the righteous. He didn't come to pat religious people on the back to say, my goodness, you're just doing, you're amazing. I'm, I'm in shock with you, right? no. He's a doctor. He came not for the healthy, but for the sick, not for the righteous, but for the sinners to call us to repentance, to call us to life in him. And do you know, do you know Jesus as the or your wonderful counselor? That's where I wanna dig in today because the book of Hebrews describes Jesus in these terms. And then it unpacks for us why he's such a good and wonderful counselor. So if you have your Bible, just flip over a number of books to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, because the author of Hebrews is going to describe for us what this wonderful counselor is like and why he's just so good. There's four aspects that I'm going to draw out for us and listen as the author of Hebrews writes. He said this, starting in verse 14. "Are you there?" Anybody need a few more seconds? Okay. Well, hurry up, because I wasn't planning on you answering yes. (laughs) Uh, All right, here we go. Since then, we have a great high priest. You might even read that as a wonderful counselor who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to, say it with me, friends, to sympathize with our weaknesses. In the Greek, this word sympathize is a compound word. It's two words put together. The two words are suffer and together. So so we have a great high priest. We have a wonderful counselor who suffers with us. Not, not from a distance, but enters in with us. In our vernacular, we might use the term empathy, that he hurts with us. It's interesting that Plato's God was an unmoved mover, one who created the universe, but then really was disconnected, especially disconnected emotionally from it. But see, the God of the scriptures, is, God is not an unmoved mover, but he is a deeply moved counselor. Counselor. And what we see about Jesus is that he's a wonderful counselor because he cares for us tenderly. He cares for us tenderly. He suffers with us. In counseling classes, they'll often uh, coach counselors to be intent on leaving people's issues at the office. Uh, Some counselors will even have a file that they'll keep in order to just keep notes to make sure that they pick up with you where they left off. And then I know a number of counselors who at the end of the day, they take their last notes, they put them in their file cabinet and they close the file cabinet, not only to close it, but to symbolically say, I'm leaving these problems here. And that makes a lot of sense because if you're a counselor and you're hearing all the pain and all the junk and all the hurt, that's a ton to carry. It would crush a person. It really would. But the picture that Hebrews is painting us of Jesus and his counseling ministry is that he's built different. He he never closes the file cabinet and he never says, I'm checking out and I'm not carrying that one home. In fact, the psalmist would describe God saying this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you as if to say, when you're looking at me, I'm looking back at you. And when you're going about your day paying no attention to me, I'm looking at you. And I care about the things that are going on in your life. And there's nothing too big that, is un, that I'm unable to step into. And there's nothing so small that I don't care about it. He says, I care about it all. And the picture that we get, friends, is that the incarnation, God putting on flesh and stepping into the world, the incarnation happened, but the incarnation also happens. That he steps into your world, into your pain, into your hurt. You might, you might think of it like this, that Jesus never treats us as clients. He loves us as children. He never treats us as clients. He loves us as children. And see, when my, when my kids hurt, I hurt with them. I don't look at them and go, well, good luck with that. I really hope that. No, like we, we enter in with them, don't we? Most of the time. Man, a few weeks ago, my my youngest son is like the world's biggest Dodger fan right now. Um, And so when the Padres were playing the Dodgers, um, my oldest son is a Padre fan and so am I. And we were cheering really hard. And um, when the Padres won, my youngest son was devastated, devastated. And I can remember sitting next to him and he's just so upset. And I'm like, oh, buddy. um, Daddy really cares. Um, and, and Lord, and yeah, buddy, I too, I wish, I wish it would have at least gone seven games so that we could have had one. one. It was so hard to empathize. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. but here's the thing. God never feels that way about us. He enters into our pain. He never looks the other way. He never disconnects emotionally. He'll say to us, cast all of your anxieties on me. Why? Because I care for you. Your hurt touches his heart. Did you know that? Your hurt touches his heart. And if you don't trust that the wonderful counselor cares, you will never run to him for counsel. Here's the next thing the author of Hebrews wrote. He said, but one describing Jesus, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. Uh, Good counselors hold space for you. You know know what I mean by that? they create an environment where you're able to just get it out. Whatever's going on on the inside, without pretense, without having to pretend, without having to spin it a little bit just to to make sure that you're gonna be okay with them. A good counselor creates space for you to just say, here it is in all of its mess, in all of its nastiness, the things that are really going on in my head and in my heart. And what Hebrew says is that that's the exact kind of counselor that Jesus is. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to spin. You don't have to justify. You don't have to say, yeah, I failed here, but, but, but you know what they did. And you know how it was really their fault that I did what I did. You don't have to go there because he understands us intimately. He understands us intimately. And what beautiful freedom that we have to come before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords and have no filter, no filter, to just lay it all out there in 100% honesty and to know that he will look at us and say, I get it. Um, when my mom was in the process of dying, and then after she passed away, I had a number of well-intentioned people come up to me and say, "I know exactly how you feel." Um, just this is just for free today. That's not usually a helpful thing to say, um, because oftentimes for the person on the other receiving the receiving end of it, it can feel a bit dismissive, and maybe even a bit pandering. Um, I know we use it that phrase as a way to encourage, but. It doesn't always land that way unless it's spoken by Jesus. And and when you come to Jesus and you say, here's what's going on and here's my struggle and here's the temptation and here's the pain and here's where I'm at today. Don't you love that with his fiery eyes, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords can look at you and go, I know how you feel. You're lonely, he knows how you feel. Betrayed, he knows how you feel. You're in pain physically, he knows how you feel. You're broken. He knows how you feel. You're suffering loss. He knows how you feel. You're, you're tempted to just give into that anger. He knows how you feel. You're tempted to act out on the lust. He knows how you feel. You're tempted to to twist the truth so that you look just a little bit better. He knows how you feel. You're, You're tempted to manipulate so that you get your way. Jesus goes, I know how you feel. And here's the beautiful thing about that, you guys. Here's the beautiful thing about that. And this is, I think this is a word for somebody in here because this is your thought about God, that when you come to God, he responds to you. How could you? How could you? But Jesus will never say that to you because he knows how you could. That's that's what the scripture just said. He knows how you could. He's been tempted in every way so that he can look at you and say, I understand you intimately, intimately. Next, here's what we're told. In light of that, verse 16, let us draw near with what? Let us then with what? Confidence draw near to the throne of grace. I don't know what images come to mind when you think about drawing near to the throne. In fact, would you just, let's just do a thought experiment together. Would you just picture yourself drawing near? Maybe there's like some stairs that you're walking up to meet with Jesus. Jesus. My guess is that some of us, we deviate back to our garden-like tendencies to sew some fig leaves together to cover the parts of us that we're ashamed of. Maybe we look for something to hide behind. Not, Not really sure if when we come into the presence of God that what we're gonna find is something that gives life rather than death. My guess is that there's some of us who draw, instead of drawing near, we start walking up those stairs and then we draw back for fear of rejection or condemnation or you name it. My sense is that for a lot of us, we have this maybe subconscious fear that if we are really, really fully known, we will be wholly rejected. Not just by others, but by God himself. So so, would you just lean in for a moment? Because I just want to, if that's you, I just want to speak into that lie today that we need not fear, we need not tremble, When we are clothed with the blood of Jesus, we stand before God, right and holy, completely accepted. No need for our own crafty fig leaves to cover our imperfections because we are covered by his perfect blood given for us on the cross, amen? So the Twitter quip is actually really true. Religion says, I messed up, dad's gonna kill me. But the gospel is, I messed up. I need to call dad. Draw near to the throne of grace. I love the way that Arthur Pink wrote it. He said, come as you are, say what you feel, ask what you need, confess your sins, your fears, your wandering thoughts and your affections because he's the wonderful counselor. He welcomes us wholeheartedly. That means we can at any point in time, friends, walk into the presence of God knowing that he is for us. But you've got to choose to draw near. That's why it's an invitation. It's not God's automatically going to draw you near, just sit back and enjoy and hope you get drawn near. It's no intentionally. I I envision the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, just crawling through the crowd, just leaning in to grab the tassel of Jesus's robe. That's the picture. Draw near. go, Go at him with everything you've got because he's the wonderful counselor. He's the wonderful counselor. And I think... What that means for us is that our, our prayer lives need to have a bit, a, a bit more dynamic to them. Do you know what I mean by that? I think oftentimes our prayer life is like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna adore, I'm gonna confess, I'm gonna give thanks and then I'm gonna ask for stuff and I'm just gonna walk through that and then I'm good. I, I think we need to redeem what the ancients would call contemplative prayer, where we create space not just to bring God our problems or to, to go through our checklist, but to sit in his presence and to ask what he would want to say to us. I love the way that author and pastor Rick Viota said it when he said that contemplative prayers, the unhurried opening of oneself to God through silence, through scripture, and self-examination. And maybe it's just us sitting before God in silence saying, God, I'm stuck. Do you have anything you want to say? God, I'm sad. Would you speak to me, God? I, I've, I've got this anger that I don't know where it comes from, and I don't know what to do with it. But God, would you would you reveal to me where it comes from, and then would you start to heal? And then, and then just just sit, as Quaker theologian Donald Steer put, "Stopping too soon is the most common dead end in prayer." And so maybe during this Advent season, over these next four weeks that we have together, maybe, just maybe, you just carve out five minutes. Just start with five minutes. It's addicting. I'm just gonna warm you up. Like, you you probably won't stop with five. But if you start with five, then that's like the gateway drug into the presence of God. Just like, start there, start there. And just come before God in silence and say, God, I'm just, I'm dealing with this issue. What do you wanna say? And then set set your timer for five minutes so you don't have to go back and look at it. And then just sit and wait. Let me ask you, do you really believe that Jesus is still the wonderful counselor today? If so, then he might have something to say. He might have something to say. But here's the second thing that I want you to see about when you draw near you draw near to his throne of grace. So, if when you draw near to God, what you hear is, gosh, you got to work harder, you got to do more, you got to try better. I can assure you, you're not at Jesus' throne. It's a throne of grace. If when you draw near to God, what you sense is condemnation, I can promise you that you're not at Jesus's throne. Why? Because his throne is a throne of grace. And here's the beautiful thing. If his throne is a throne of grace, then I don't need to clean myself up before I get there. Because grace is what I find there. Grace is what I'm showered with there. I can come a complete and total mess and find grace there at his throne, not somewhere else and not before, but at his throne. And when we draw near, we find that we are forgiven saints, not outcasted sinners. Praise be to God, amen? Amen. Now, that, you, you may have something in the back of your head going, well, Ryan, um, doesn't Jesus have like, really hard things to say also? And my answer to that would be yes and amen. He absolutely does. That knowing Jesus as a wonderful counselor or the great high priest does not mean that Jesus has nothing hard to say. It doesn't mean he winks at our sin. He pats us on the back while we're ruining our life and the lives of others. No, he calls out our sin. He confronts us in our evil and he shines a light into our darkness. He wouldn't be a wonderful counselor if he just sat back and went, I'm really sorry to hear that you're struggling with that. No, he says, I will, I will empathize with you. I'll enter in and help is on the way. That's what the author of Hebrews says next. That we may receive mercy. That means we don't get what we deserve. And that we may find grace to what? Help in our time of need. Like I said, I think a lot of us have no problem viewing Jesus as savior, as Lord, but viewing him as helpful, viewing him as brilliant, viewing him as having anything to say about depression or sadness or codependency or bitterness. We often don't think of him in that category. And I think Hebrews would say, well, you're wrong. You should because he's still the wonderful counselor and he guides us wisely. He guides us with wisdom. A few weeks ago, um, Matthew Perry, who played Chandler on the TV show Friends, released his autobiography. And in it, he describes in great length his battle with addiction and the turning point in that addiction. And here's what he wrote. He said this, God, please help me, I whispered. Show me that you're here. God, please help me. I started to cry. I mean, really started to cry. That shoulder shaking, uncontrollable weeping. And I wasn't crying because I was sad, he wrote. I was crying because for the first time in my life, I felt okay. I felt safe, taken care of. Decades of struggling with God and wrestling with life and sadness. All was being washed away like a river of pain gone into oblivion. I'd been in the presence of God. I was certain of it. And this time I had prayed for the right thing, help. And eventually the weeping subsided, but everything was different now. I stayed sober for two years based solely on that moment God had shown me a sliver of what life could be. He'd saved me that day. And for all days, no matter what, he had turned me into a seeker, not only of sobriety and truth, but also of him. What a beautiful picture of the wonderful counselor. (laughs) I love that line. I prayed the right thing, help, help. When was the last time you stood in his presence and just said help? See, James would encourage us and say, if any of you lacks wisdom, anybody lack wisdom? Right on, right on. So that's us. Um, Let him ask God who gives generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. That sounds so definitive. It's meant to be read that way. Ask God for wisdom and he will provide, but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind." Here's his instruction, ask and then wait. Ask and then wait on God. But sometimes you gotta listen really hard, don't you? And here's the reason, here's the reason. It's one of the beautiful things about Jesus as wonderful counselor. He is not ruthless dictator. He's a wonderful counselor. So he's not going to force himself on you. He's not going to force his counsel on you. He's not going to force his wisdom on you. He's going to give it to you and then give you the chance to respond to him. This is exactly what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden. They were created with a choice. You can eat from the tree of life and live forever in relationship with God, or you can go your own way. You can eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, essentially be your own counselor and see how things turn out for you. We know that they went to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it's a essentially the tree that we have been eating from ever since. And while we seek out counseling at an unprecedented rate, I also think that this generation is more consumed and more confident in their own thoughts and their own opinion than many of the generations that preceded us. So we want counseling as long as it agrees with us. I think in so many ways we live by the mamas and the papas dictum, you got to go where you want to go. Do what you wanna do with whoever you want to do it with. That's the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, Isaiah addressed it in his book already. He said in chapter five, verse 21, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight, who think they've got it all together. Jesus would say it like this in John chapter three, verse 19, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. See, here's the point. The wonderful counselor has come and he's willing to guide you with wisdom, but you've got to have the humility to say yes. You've got to have the humility to say yes. So what do you do when you disagree with Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? What do you do when you and Jesus disagree? When you think you should go and he says, stay. When you think you're justified in your bitterness and he calls you to forgive. When you think your addiction is just, eh, it's just a little bit of a hangup. It's not really hurting anyone. And he calls on you to get help. When you have sexual desires and he calls you to fidelity, what do you do when you and Jesus disagree? See, it's possible to trust Jesus's wisdom more than your own. In fact, I would argue you only really trust Jesus if you trust him more than you trust yourself. You only really trust Jesus if you trust him more than you trust yourself. And friends, I just want to plead with you, maybe afresh today, to believe that he really is the wonderful counselor, to carve out enough space to hear his voice in your life. He's caring, he's understanding, he's welcoming, he's wise, and he wants to speak into your life. A number of weeks ago, um, I I walked up the stairs and stepped into my counselor's office, and I sat down on her couch. And I was just, there were some things that I was just really struggling with, frustrated with, didn't know what to do. And she sort of sat back in her chair. She looked at me and she said, have you talked to Jesus about that? And I said, well, here, I'll tell you what I said, but what I wanted to say was, I'm a pastor, talk to Jesus. Now I'm here to talk to you, right? Like, and you're supposed to help me. But I didn't say that. What I said was, well, yeah, I have. And and what she said was, well, I really think he wants to help you with that. So what if you carved out some space to just let him minister? And so I did. And oh my goodness, you guys, it was a game changer. Turns out, He's a wonderful counselor. <laughs> like, he really knows what he's doing. And my conviction is that he wants to speak into your life too. So if you're in a time of need, even if it's just something small that you normally like to write off and go, I'll deal with that on my own or that's not a big enough thing to get a blip on the radar screen of the king of the universe. Like, I just want you to check that for a moment and say, what if, what if he really does care about everything going on in your life? What if you can bring anything to him? An issue that you're facing, a marriage issue, a relationship issue, an addiction, a hang up, a place that you're stuck, a person you can't forgive. What if you just brought that to him and said, Jesus, would you speak into that? Because here's my conviction is that this Christmas, I'm just calling on us to not just celebrate the birth of Christ, but to seek out the wisdom of Jesus not just to celebrate the birth of Jesus, but to believe afresh that he is the wonderful counselor. And so in our few minutes we have before we close, can I invite you to just choose something you're dealing with? Let's just test it out. Let's let's just see if the counselor's in session. Would you just choose something going on in your life and and just bring it honestly before him? Just come honestly. And then listen. Listen to see if there's anything he'd wanna say to you. And before you hear anything that he says, would you commit to saying, Jesus, I'm gonna do my best to respond obediently. Come honestly, listen attentively, respond obediently. So let's close our time with a time of prayer. And I would just invite you to practice this. Let's just bring our cares before him and let's see what he has to say today. Let's pray. Wonderful counselor. We are, we're so grateful that you care, that you understand, that you guide us with wisdom, that you welcome us with open arms. And Lord, would you create in us a a passion, a fresh passion to hear your voice, to know your wisdom, to walk in your way. Would you teach us what it looks like to really have you as not just our Savior and Lord, but as our wonderful counselor. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.